0: Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan here and we are gonna dive into a big book study today. Today we are focused on the second chapter in the big book called There Is A Solution. We're on page 20 or kind of entering in what we've put together as part two of There Is A Solution. So as we've gotten to this point, we've gone through the doctor's opinion where he talked about the condition being an illness or an allergy and we take a drink and it triggers craving and an obsession. And we can't stop and we'll do this until we've really messed up our lives, until we've encountered astonishingly difficult problems. And then Bill's story comes along and sort of outlines his actual life along that pathway until he discovered that working with other alcoholics kept him sober. And then in there is a solution. We've come across that very idea. The opening remarks are service to other people. Being of condition to be in service to other people is the final answer. And we're going to spend a lot of time today qualifying the alcoholic against the moderate drinker or the heavy drinker. So some of us fall into these things. And, you know, perhaps this is an important thing because as we think about ourselves, the lies that will go through my mind anyway are things like, well, maybe you can still drink. Maybe you could just drink beer. Uh, perhaps I can uh, try just drinking on the weekends again. You know, All these things I've told myself over the years and were very ineffective at keeping those commitments I made to myself. Perhaps you too. And this chapter is actually going to dive into the idea that there is such a thing as a moderate drinker. There is such a thing as a heavy drinker. And then there's the real alcoholic, so to speak. Now, you can be a moderate drinker or a heavy drinker and just not have crossed that threshold of alcoholism that brings on that indescribable or that incomprehensible, demoralized place that Bill talked about. Even so, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are here for you. And it's key to remember that the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. So if you've arrived here at trouble brought into your life as a result of your drinking, and you're concerned about getting that trouble straightened out, please listen close to this. And if you identify as being an alcoholic, please stick around. There is a solution. That's the name of the chapter. We're on page 20, and we're starting right here. It says, You may already have asked yourself, why is it that all of us become so very ill from drinking? Doubtless, you are curious to discover how and why, in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of the mind and body. So we're reintroduced to that. The doctor's opinion kind of showing up here again and there as a solution that it's considered by the medical profession a hopeless condition of the mind and body. If you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, that'd be you, you personally, if you want to get past this, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? And it's going to come back to us as go to any length to get it along the way. It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done before going into a detailed discussion. It may be well to summarize some points as we see them. How many times people have said to us, I can take her to leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him. But there he is. All lit up again. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. They don't have drinking problems. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. So that's a lot of people before they're full-blown alcoholic. And please stick around AA if that's you. It could be that this saves your life and saves you from years and years. For me, 20 years, 20 years it could have saved me to hear this when I went to treatment for the first time as a young man. So it could be saving you too. But what about the real alcoholic? This is gonna be a lot of us as well. He may start off as a moderate drinker, right? We go through stages, he may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. As we graduate different levels, we begin to think of ourselves as connoisseurs of whiskey or bourbon or tequila or vodka or gin. We begin to think of ourselves as, hey, it's pretty normal to use a six-pack or a 12-pack of beer to chill out at the end of the night. We may say things, I used to say this to myself, that 100-proof liquor is at least 50% water, so I hydrate while I drink, right? might think like that. So it says, he may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage, in contrast to that, at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. He is a fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, and tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk, not all the time, meaning when he drinks, he's drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around, yet early the next morning he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse... He begins to use a combination of high-power sedatives and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative, like Xanax, right, or an antidepressant or something for bipolar disorder, because we don't tend to tell the doctor the truth, do we? And he thinks it's something else. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums, and in our modern life, jails, right? DUIs, public drunkenness, domestic disputes, things like that. So if that's starting to happen in your life, you may not want to admit it. You may not like the idea, but this may be you. One of the things that I did was I made 30 car keys, I made 30 car keys so I could hide them around a bar that I played music at. So when somebody asked me for my keys, I could graciously hand them to him, go find one of my other keys, and take off and drive. That's why I got so many DUI arrests. All right, so let's move on. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, so there's a lot of variations, as our behavior patterns vary. But this description should identify him roughly. So back to it, you know, if you've got a bunch of DUI, more than one DUI arrest, and you think because you got DUI arrests, you, you have a problem. I want you to think about this. Those are just times you got caught. And we got a funny way of equating bad activity with getting caught and not that we do it on a routine or maybe even daily basis. So why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Where did it go? So the doctor's opinion kind of explains that to us, right? That we have a reaction to alcohol that triggers the phenomena of craving, and then we become obsessed with getting more. We lose complete sight of the trouble we're bringing into the world, and then we sober up eventually, and we're all too aware of that trouble. And the same cycle of guilt and remorse starts to get involved, and we make commitments that we're not going to keep, and then we rely on alcohol again. Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. So the idea is not to explain in self-knowledge to you why you do this. That's not the purpose of this book. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol whatever into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. So if you've been sitting in the bar and you're like, man, I got to drive home. I got to go meet my wife. and You say, I'm just going to have one more. And four later, you're like, you know, I probably need to lay off. Uh, I got to drive home. Uh, I'm supposed to go see my wife. And then you text your wife and you say, hey, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> you know, this is the person we're talking about. And we do this over and over again, these types of things. It goes on to say, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. So the idea here is it's not the 10th drink that gets you drunk. It's the very first one. And if you don't take that first drink, there's no opportunity for the 10th or the 15th or the 20th or whatever it would be for you. There's no opportunity for the blackout and the lies and the misgivings and the money spent. It's not there. It won't happen. It's the first drink. And that rationalization in our minds that says, I'm just going to have one is the fatal step towards the whole thing running through you again, that whole cycle repeating itself. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Let me say that again. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. In your mind, in the way you think about things, in the way you talk to yourself, in the delusions that we tell ourselves, like, I am fine and I'm not hurting anybody. Why are they so mad? I haven't done anything. I pay the bills, I can do what I want, I'm getting by okay, no one can tell, no one has any idea, I only do it now, I only do this then, it centers in our mind, not in our body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis, because we all have tons of them, right? We just make them up. Sometimes these excuses have certain plausibility but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. So when we go drinking, we create problems and no excuse that we have will remedy those problems. Have you ever told a police officer that, man, I had a really bad night, you know, I had a difficult day. My job's really bad. You know, my relationship's bad. I'm in financial trouble. That's why I'm driving under the influence. You might notice the handcuffs are just as cold and just as tight. It <laughs> doesn't make any difference. We go on. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he'll laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. So this next paragraph here is really important. We're going to talk about this just for a moment. and. Uh, And I want you guys to pay attention to this. It says, once in a while, he may tell the truth. Now, we want to lean on that, don't we? We know we told the truth once, and we want to extrapolate that truth out to prove to others that we're honest, even though we're dishonest far more often. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have, right? We might have been in touch for a moment with the potential for trouble and did it Anyway, some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time. You may have a tough life, right? You may have had a difficult time. Someone may have passed away. There may actually be a reason that that moderate drinker would also take a few drinks to relax. That may be there. But for us, it is a real problem. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are baffled. A lot. So baffling means confused, misunderstanding. I, I can't understand it. Why do I keep doing this? I don't want to do it anymore, but here I am again. Again, right? I know that was true of me. I said that from a jail sale a lot of times, but I never let it on to anybody about it. I got angry and pointed the finger of blame at a lot of things, but I didn't point it at me. Back to it. There is the obsession that somehow. Someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. Think about that. Self-will, self-knowledge, trouble in your life, consequences with relationships, financial struggles, legal problems, none of those have been enough to motivate us away from the drink. They motivate us towards telling ourselves that we're fine, that we will be able to do this that I'm only going to have one, I'll get it right this time, I'm not going to do that again, they force us into the commitments that we just patently don't keep, commitments we make to ourselves. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody hopefully waits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. You can't do it on your own. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. See, we don't admit it, but we sense it. Very important paragraph next. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. That is so critical. If that's you, if every time you start with one drink, or most of the times you start with one drink, you find yourself in trouble again of some kind, And you really wish you were enjoying yourself, but you're really angry and bitter. You spend money you ought not to be spending. If this is you, you're in the right place. And that's what's so fantastic about this solution because it's for you, it's for us. We have found this common solution. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us, they just don't work. If these thoughts occur, They are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. So we're going to stop there. The reason why is it's good to contemplate this idea that we have lost power. As we get towards the steps, this idea that we've lost the power of choice, that we've lost the ability to keep the promises we make to ourselves and others, that we are unable to bring to our mind the consequences, and even if we do, we do it anyway. That we are just unable to deliver to our own lives, to our own selves, the life that we imagine ourselves to be. And we live double lives. This is going to get into all of that as we go along. man, it's not us paying the consequences, is it? I mean, to some degree it is. We're just one person paying the consequences. We deliver those consequences and spread them around like peanut butter on bread, right? Everybody around us is to some degree paying the consequences for our actions, whether it be someone we owe money to, someone who cares about us and loves us and their worry and concern, someone who really hates us and we just keep living up to what they think of us. So what I'd like to talk about today and if you guys want to bring into a discussion would be how does powerlessness over alcohol play out in your life and the way to describe that or one way to describe that is to talk about the different troubles that have come in your life more than once been arrested more than once been married more than once having trouble with finances more than once you know the things that repeat themselves what does your cycle look like what does your cycle of debacle after debacle as the book put it What does that look like? Talk about it and talk about how service to other people, being in service to other people by merely taking the AA program as a life and death matter, by diving in and starting to take care of yourself in a way that the people that love you want you to. There's your first step in service. Talk about how much of a difference that made. If you had relationships restored, have your finances been restored? Please share that amongst yourselves because. That's the meat of this program. It's not the purpose of it. It happens automatically, and we'll learn more about that as we go along. Even so, it is so vital to know that your problem isn't so bad, your situation's not so low, your legal trouble not so big, your relationship's not so far gone, that they can't be brought back to some degree in some form in a positive way that you can feel good about and believe that you've done the right thing. I hope you have a good talk.